Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you the greatest sports journalist in the history of Erie, Pennsylvania, Mr. Mike Balco. My boy, my boy Michael Balco, writer, podcaster, sports enthusiast. He is the first guest that we have on the Black and Gold Hour podcast this year. He had just contributed, and he also has his own podcast, The Mike Belco Show. Uh, I want you all to uh, welcome Mr. Mike Belco. Today, to speak about the New Orleans Saints is Michael Belco from The Michael Belco Show. Host of The Michael Belco Show, please welcome Michael Belco. What is up? What is up? What is up, everybody? I am back with another episode of the Michael Balco Show. Today, I am excited to announce my guest. He's a retired NFL quarterback who spent 15 years in the league, a two-time Super Bowl champion, one of the best personalities to ever play in the NFL, the one, the only, Jim McMahon. How are we doing, brother? Mm. Doing good, Mike. Doing good. Just uh, having a little coffee here, trying to wake up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Aren't we all? So first and foremost, let's talk about your uh, your early your early life. Uh, tell us where you come from um, and kind of what it's like being the second oldest of six kids. Well, I was uh, I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey um, back in 59. And then uh, when I was two, uh, two, I think between the ages of two and three, we moved to San Jose, California. Uh, that's where I spent the uh the next 13 years until I was 16 years old. Um, that's where I grew up. <laughs> that's where I learned to play sports and, and, uh, you know, uh, and everything else pretty much. Um, and then, uh, from there, my dad's job moved him to, uh, Roy, Utah, my junior year in high school, which was quite traumatic. Uh, I was starting as a sophomore in California and the coaches wanted me to stay. My brother, my older brother got to stay and finish out his senior year, but, uh, since I had two years left and, and a police record, I had to get, uh, had to move out of the state. So I ended up going to Utah and finished my last two years of uh, high school ball there. And then of course went on to BYU. And after that, you know, into the pros. So that's a little bit of background. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, one thing that a lot of people may not know about you just on the surface, um, is that you actually had an incident whenever you were a kid that uh, left one of your eyes, you know, injured. Um, why don't you go ahead and share that story for us? Uh, well, my brothers and I were playing uh, Cowboys and Indians, and uh, we didn't, you know, have Xbox and all that kind of stuff back in the day. So we just, uh, and I had a little a gun holster on my on my leg. And um, I guess when we got done playing, I couldn't get the, you know, how you tie the knot down by your knee. Uh I couldn't get the damn knot out. So I go and get a, a fork and went and sat back down and I started messing with that fork and, you know, really just trying to jerk that knot around and boom, it slipped. And, and, uh, that just proves the hands quicker than the eye. The fork went pretty much dead center of my uh, right eye and, and ended up back in my head somewhere back here, but it was just one of those boom, quick jab. And I, I yanked it back out. Uh, it hurt like hell, that's for sure. And then um, uh, I, I did quite a bit of damage. They, they they wanted to take my eyeball out, actually. 
And my dad said, no, don't, don't do that. Just, you know, save the eyeball and, and, uh, we'll, we'll deal with the rest of it when it, when it happens. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad they didn't have, didn't take it out then. My dad didn't want me to have a glass eye at six, but, uh, might as well have it. I don't really see out of it and uh, never really have. So, uh, all it does is, is, um, <laughs> excuse me, is my, they had to cut a big part of my iris out. And so my pupil doesn't dilate anymore. It's always big. And so if you ever, ever had your eyes checked and, and they give you those drops and your, your pupils get really big, that's mine stay like that all day long. So that's the reason I wear sunglasses. I've been wearing them since I was six. And so uh, when people think, oh, he wears them because he's cool, I don't really care what they think. Uh, I, wear them. I wear them because it's pretty damn bright out, no matter what, whether the sun's out or not. Yeah. Yeah, I think – that just that just even like adds to your what you've done on the football field even more impressive is you know you're basically doing it with like one eye which is incredible um so you excelled in both baseball and football growing up and at Roy High School in Utah um you know the, your last two years spent there um and you ended up getting that offer like you kind of said to BYU um and you were able to play at that next level um how did you uh, how did like playing baseball and football kind of help with each sport? Like how did football help you in baseball? How did baseball help you in football? Uh, didn't help either way. Uh, totally different sports. Uh, <clears throat> playing baseball, I actually played in the outfield and throwing the ball from the outfield is a hell of a lot different than throwing the football from the pocket. So, um, yeah, it was, I wish I could have kept playing baseball. You know, I, that's the reason I ended up choosing BYU. I wanted to play both sports. And of all the schools that I went to visit, uh, the only two that said I could play both sports was BYU and, and Nevada, Las Vegas. And of course, when I went to Vegas, I wanted to, I came home from that trip and I told my dad, Hey, I'm going to Vegas. And he said, no, you're not. You know, he said, it's, it's not a big enough school, this and that. And, and uh, so that's how I ended up at BYU. And, but they didn't ever tell me I couldn't get out of spring football practice. So I, I would play a game of a double header. And like I said, playing in the outfield, I'd have to run down this big hill and change uniforms and go to football practice and, and throw the ball for three hours straight. So uh, I think I only played about eight games my freshman year. And, and since football was my scholarship, uh, I decided to give up baseball and, and just uh, commit to football. And, and the rest uh, rest worked out OK. I'd say so. Yeah. And and BYU, you know, is, is usually a bit of a culture shock for for, uh, you know, athletic recruits. What was the BYU experience kind of like for you as a whole? Well, it wasn't what college life was supposed to be like, or, or from from what I hear everybody else's uh, college stories. Uh, it was definitely a different experience. Uh, <coughs> I was there for five years, and, and uh, I didn't didn't graduate. So that should tell you how much school I went to. Um, I finally did get get uh, get my degree about six or seven years ago went back and finished up five classes and i'll tell you doing homework at 55 really sucks i mean i hated doing it when i was 18 and i sure as hell didn't like it at 55 so uh i'm glad i got it done and uh, you know the rest uh I, I finally got into the byu hall of fame because i i was a graduate you know they wouldn't put me in until i graduated so I made a promise to Coach Edwards and and to my folks actually that that, that I'd get it done, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad I finally was able to do it. 
Yeah, most definitely. And then in 2010, like you kind of just mentioned, in 2010, you announced that you were going to complete your current, uh, like your coursework that you needed to be able to be eligible for the BYU Athletic Hall of Fame, which you did. Um, and then you were named to the BYU Hall of Fame as part of the 2014 class and had your number nine jersey retired. How did it feel knowing that you made a large enough impact and defied all the odds against you to be a Hall of Fame worthy player for the university? Well, you know, I think I did a lot of good stuff there as far as, uh, you know, on the football field and, and uh, set a lot of records and won their first two bowl games for them or not. I didn't do it by myself, but uh, I was a big part of that. And uh, so it was it was nice to finally, you know, to, you know, see my name up on the stadium where, you know, I think it belonged. And uh, Coach Edwards even told me that he said, look, you you, uh, you belong up there. So get this work done and, and get it done before I. I expire. He goes, I don't know how much time I have left. And, and I was able to get it done right before he, he did pass. That's awesome because I love, I love when like promises come to fruition, you know, and you made a promise and you kept it. I love that. Um, so going back in time to 1982, you were the number five overall pick in the 1982 draft by the Chicago bears. Um, what was your pre-draft process like? And what was it like to be free from BYU's restrictive culture? Well, when I was coming out of college, all the, <coughs> all the indications, excuse me again, all the indications were that I was going to go to Baltimore. Uh, the Colts were picking fourth that year. And um, I had been back uh, to Baltimore a couple of times. I was, I was uh, having dinner and, and lunch with Johnny Unitas at his restaurant there in Baltimore. And he was telling me about the town and how much I was going to enjoy it. And uh, so when draft day happened and, and the and they the Colts it was Colts turn to pick and I, and Pete Rosell said and the Colts select quarterback and I was thinking it was going to be me and he said Arch Sleister Ohio State and I was kind of I was shocked and I was kind of glad because I really didn't want to go to to Baltimore at the time and I had forgotten I told my agent that and he had uh, he had mentioned that to the Colts the Colts at the time had a running back. I believe it was uh, who the hell was it? I can't remember his name, but uh, they were having trouble signing him. And so uh, my agent told him, look, don't even bother drafting me because you can't even sign your running back. You're never going to sign the quarterback either. So I had no idea Chicago was picking next. I, I didn't even know, didn't even look down the list because I, I figured I was going to Baltimore. And so I was kind of shocked. And then the next, you know, the next uh, pick uh, Chicago picked me and, and then uh couple hours later, I was on my way to Chicago to meet uh, George Hollis. Yeah, that's that's wild. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to just kind of fast forward a little bit to the 1985 season with the Chicago Bears, one of the most infamous and notable. Um, you went 11-0 as the team's starting quarterback. Uh, you became even more so one of the best personalities in the NFL. Um, you also helped guide the Bears to the Super Bowl, um, where you guys defeated the New England Patriots 46-10 to in New Orleans. Um, you also became the first quarterback in Super Bowl history to run for two touchdowns in a single game. Um, so what was that entire season kind of like for you? Um, and how did it feel to be crowned a Super Bowl champion? You know, obviously that's like what you what you work for as a professional athlete. So how did it feel to kind of reap the rewards of that? Well, you know, going into 85, we we all knew we were going to be a good football team. You know, we had, we had lost the NFC Championship game in, in 1984 to the 49ers. Uh, 
I had been hurt that season. I, I tore the bottom part of my kidney off in a, in a game. And uh, so I was looking forward to getting back to playing as well. And I knew we were going to be good. And uh, we were all expecting, you know, to, to go to the Super Bowl and win it. That was, that was our goal that year. And, um, you know, things didn't really start out all that well, you know, I mean, we won our first couple of games, and, but it were, they weren't by blowouts by any means. But, uh, you know, then our defense really got their stride going and, and, and teams were really having trouble against us. And uh, we moved the ball well. Uh, we ran the ball as well as anybody. And, and uh, we had, uh, I think we had the most uh, points in the NFC that season. Uh, we held the ball for almost 40 minutes a game. And so that's uh, that's a credit to our offensive line, who never really got the credit that they deserve. And uh, so we had a we had a good football team, and and we we were looking forward to winning the Super Bowl. And then, uh, you know, uh, we had the one one slip up in Miami that year. Uh, we lost on a Monday night to to the Dolphins down in Miami. But other than that, uh, you know, we were we were pretty damn good. And, and we. <laughs> You know, once we got to the Super Bowl, we we, we knew that, uh, that it didn't matter who we were going to play, that they weren't going to win that day. So, so what is like a pregame before the Super Bowl like? Like, were you nervous at all or were you just being yourself, just having a good time and just looking forward to the opportunity? Or was it like, a am nervous, let me, you know, try to get in the right mindset type of thing? Uh, no, I wasn't nervous at all. Like I said, it didn't matter who we were going to play. That They didn't have a chance that day. Um, I was, I was really just worried about getting out of New Orleans alive. I, I had a bunch of <coughs> death threats during the week. Some idiot reporter went on television and said that I'd called all the women of New Orleans sluts and the men were stupid and, and whatever other comments that he had made, uh, where he got that information. Nobody, nobody to this day knows. I mean, I, I never said that, uh, I supposedly had said it on a radio show. And uh, which is ridiculous because the radio show was at 6 a.m. And I'm not getting up, you know, no radio person at 6 a.m. And so, uh, yeah, I was just worried about getting shot. I mean, it, you know, I was like I said, got death threats uh, from Thursday through Sunday. Uh, we had women picketing our hotel. Uh, we did have a bomb scare on uh, or bomb threat on Saturday. So. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of things going on there, and, and I wasn't really thinking about much about the game. I just wanted to get the hell out of town. Damn, all of that just to proceed to destroy the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, all like of- I said, it, it didn't matter who we played that day. It was uh, you know, nobody was going to stop us that day. That's awesome. Um, so you went you went down as one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the history of the Chicago Bears. Um, you were an insanely likable guy equally disliked by many as you kind of just expressed um how did you go like about your day-to-day life just throughout your nfl career not knowing whether you're going to be loved or hated or kind of how you were viewed um and did any of that ever get to you like did any of the negativity from the outside fans or the media or anybody like that get to you personally no i never i didn't never let it bother me i've never let uh, other people's opinions uh you know form who i am or or define who I am. I, I've lived my life the way I want to live my life. And if people don't like me, that's fine. I don't, uh, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Uh, the people that do know me, I think, uh, I, you know, I think I'm a pretty good dude. So that's all I really worry about the people that I, I care about as in, uh, 
as long as they they know what's going on and, and they know where I'm at. So uh, I don't I don't let the outside world bother it. Yeah. And uh, I know I follow you on Twitter and I know that you you post a lot of uh, your teammate, Walter Payton. What was it like, you know, getting to play alongside the best running back in NFL history, Walter Payton? Um, kind of how much did he mean to you? Um, how much does he did he mean to the NFL and, and the culture of the NFL as a whole? Oh, he was a great player, great teammate. Um, you know, he's just a joy to joy to watch run. I mean, he hated to be tackled, as you can see in, in all the, every film that you know he's bouncing off people left and right, and, and he's just uh, still the strongest guy I've ever met in my life. And you know, what was he about five ten, two hundred five, eight pounds, something like that? But just just muscle everywhere and uh, and desire. I mean, he had a great heart. And like I said, he just did not like to be tackled. You know, he made some – I watched him make some great 30-yard runs that only gained a couple yards because he'd, he'd go sideline to sideline bouncing off people. And uh, I don't know how he did it for the six years before I got there because <laughs> I didn't think that offensive line was very good when I first got there. But they turned into uh, one of the best in the in the history of the league. Yeah, and then I know – I know a lot of a lot of reports and and stuff. I was doing some research, and everyone everyone just kind of said that you and, and your coach Mike Ditka, legendary head coach, uh, you guys always used to butt heads and stuff. What was it? Uh, what was it like playing underneath Mike Ditka, especially for as long as you did? Well, at times it was very frustrating. Um, in fact, most of the time it was very frustrating because our offense sucked. I, I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, I just come from BYU where we got to throw the ball all the time. And now I'm, you know, I throw it more in the first half of a BYU game than I throw it in three games in, with Chicago. So uh, that was quite, uh, you know, shocking for me. But uh, yeah, I would have loved to play with Mike. Mike was a great football player. Uh, he, he was rough, tough, played the game the way it's supposed to be played. And had he ever been in my huddle, I think he would have understood me a hell of a lot better. Because uh, I, I actually I knew what I was doing, and he thought I was doing things just to piss him off. But uh, I was doing things to win games, and if that pissed him off, that's that's too bad. I'm not I'm not, like I said, I'm not worried about people's feelings. I'm I'm here to win ball games, and if you don't want that, you want somebody you know a robot, put somebody else in there or trade me because I, I I can't deal with it. Yeah, and then after after seven seasons in Chicago, you found yourself in a new uniform with the Chargers. Um, what was it like to wear a different uniform for the first time in your pro football career? And were you accepted the same way that you were in Chicago? Um, well, I was just looking forward to getting out of Chicago. It was kind of nice to be in San Diego. You know, I just come from the, one of the coldest places that you'll ever be in your life in Chicago. And um, to be in San Diego where it's 75, 78 degrees every day, I, I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, we weren't very good, but, uh, it was nice. Uh, it was just nice to get away from the, the scene that we had created in Chicago. It was a lot of bad blood there, uh, with, with coach Dick and, and some other people, but, um, you know, it was just a fresh start. You know, my, my kids got to enjoy it. Um, we had had, we had three at the time. Uh, they were all very, very little, but, uh, they enjoyed that part of it. Uh, we, <laughs> they got to move around, uh, the next eight years. I mean, they, wherever I was playing, they came with me, uh, started school wherever I was. And then at Christmas break, they'd always go home to the regular school 
but uh, so they got to grow up and see quite a bit of the country and, and uh, they learned how to you know, meet new friends pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's always important, too. And like you kind of said, you bounced around the league a little bit um, over the next over the next few years. Um, you you had stops in Philadelphia, Minnesota, Arizona, Cleveland, and you finished it up in Green Bay. Uh, which of those cities that I just mentioned was your favorite to play in and why? Well, man, I don't really I didn't play much other. I played one year in Philly, uh, one year in Minnesota. Uh, I enjoyed my time here in, in uh, Arizona. I knew when I played for the Cardinals that this is where I was going to live when I was done playing. Uh, I love dry heat. I don't uh, don't like humidity at all. It, it kills my body for some reason, but uh, dry heat feels great. And so I always knew I was going to live here. But uh, I mean, anywhere I got to play, I enjoyed it. In Philadelphia, we, we had a hell of a football team in, in Philadelphia in 1991. I, we probably should have won the well, I know we should have won it all that year. I uh, had the best defense in the league. And unfortunately, our again, the O-line was not real solid in, in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, we went 10-6 and six and didn't go to the playoffs. So that, that should tell you that because nobody really wanted to play us, that's for sure. But uh, And then Minnesota, of course, I played there in 93. We ended up going to the playoffs and, and losing to the Giants in New York. But, yeah. Other than that, I didn't play much. And then when I got to Green Bay, I certainly didn't play much. I was there with Brett Favre. So <clears throat> just kind of, uh, you know, enjoyed enjoyed every every stop I made. I had some great teammates everywhere I went. Still have some great, a lot of great friendships. That's really what you miss. You don't miss all the grind and everything else, but you miss hanging out with your buddies. And yeah. uh, it's always good to see those guys. You had to at least consider playing for the Detroit Lions, right, to just round out the NFC North. No, I never, never wanted to go to Detroit. No, I would have loved to go to Tampa. Tampa was in our was in our uh, conference at that time, and that, that would have been a nice place to play. I, I always loved going to Tampa Bay because it was always 80 degrees, and uh, and they weren't very good then either, so we could always chalk up a pretty good win there. I heard uh, Tom Brady's looking for a backup if you still got a little juice left. <laughs> Hell, I can't even walk right now. I've been – I've been rehabbing a foot for the last eight months. So I saw that. How you Still feeling? With it. Uh, it's a little sore right now. I've just I played six days of golf in the last seven. So, and I haven't played since in nine months. So I, I put a lot of stress on it, but I didn't want to miss this event uh, in Lake Tahoe that I just finished up. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, in 1996, you won your second Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. Um, and then you ended up wearing your Chicago Bears jersey to the White House, which is one of my favorite stories about you. I love it. Um, what factored into that decision, and what did your teammates think of you when you did that? Well, the whole reason behind it was we didn't get to go to the uh, the White House after we won the Super Bowl. Uh, two days after we won in 85, the space shuttle blew up, and you know, all the uh, attention was on that, which rightfully so. But I think they could have snuck us in there somewhere between the time we won and the 11 years after uh, that the Packers won. And so I told all my teammates, I told my coaches, I said, look, and explain to them what had happened. And I'm just going to re represent the, you know, my team that didn't get to go. And I actually had, had called some of my old linemen and said, hey, send me your jersey i'll hold that up during the team picture too but i didn't get any of their jersey but i wore mine and i'm sure there was a lot of green bay people upset but 
I'm sure they didn't know what, what was going on, but <laughs> really nobody in the organization was mad at me. I think uh, other than Fritz Shermer, Fritz Shermer was our defensive coordinator. And I figured out why later it was because Fritz was the defensive coordinator uh, for the Rams when we beat them in, in 85 to go to the Super Bowl. So I think that brought a couple of bad memories back for him. <laughs> other than that, everybody, you know, it was not a big deal to the, to the team guys. That's awesome. You love you got to love when your teammates and your brothers out there accept you, even though it's the fierce division rival, so much great bad blood between the two organizations. And it's just nice that that was able to uh, come to fruition for you. Um, and then this next question is actually coming from one of your biggest fans ever um, and a good friend of mine, Sean Kiley. Uh, Sean would like to know if you would have if you would have. If you would have played with this with such reckless abandon um, throughout your career, if you would have known the physical toll it would have taken on your body. Uh, well, everybody knows that you know you're going to be hurting when you're done playing. You know, whether it's your knees or your shoulders, uh, elbows, ankles, I mean hips. Uh, that's something that we've all you know accepted, and uh, we're willing to to go through it. Uh, the head, the head part of it. No, nobody, nobody really knew about you know the brain and concussions and, and what what those constant beatings can do to your brain. Uh, that that's really what's been bugging me uh, mostly since I retired. Uh, I was diagnosed <laughs> probably uh, 10, 12 years ago with early onset dementia, but what was happening is my spinal fluid is filling up in my head because I've got blockages in my neck and in my, in my skull that do not let the spinal fluid flow properly. And when it doesn't, it just sits there and pretty much eats away at the brain. And my doctors believe that's what causes the CTE is the, is the, uh, is the spinal fluid doing that. And so, you know, at least now uh, these guys have figured out a way to, to keep me semi-healthy. About every three to four months, I go to back to New York and I get a, a, a simple adjustment. It's not a manual thing. It's a, it's a machine. It puts it behind my ear. All I hear is, a, is like a pop and it sends a, uh, sends a pulse through my neck and moves the bones enough to let the fluid out. And uh, I do that, like I said, every three to four months and I can, I can function fairly normally. But when I'm when it's out of whack and I'm, my head's filled up, all I want to do is lay in a dark room and and, uh, and just peace and quiet because I, I can't stand anything up when that when that starts to happen. Yeah, and that's the that's the that's the side about football that that people don't really know. You know, is you're gonna you're gonna go through it right after you're done, and you're gonna go through it for the rest of your life more than likely, um, especially when someone plays as hard and as physical as you did. Um, in 1998, you were inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. What was that moment like, and how much did that mean to you? Well, that was a nice deal. I mean, I statistically, yes, I, I deserved to be in there. So, which was a nice, nice honor. I mean, a lot of there's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands that played college football, and there's, you know, not everybody gets to get to be uh, in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, that's a nice honor. Um, I doubt if I'll ever get in the NFL because, you know, they love statistics and I don't, you know, my stats were, were not the, uh, very impressive, you know, other than my wins and losses. I think that's all I ever cared about was wins and losses. I would have loved to throw the ball, like I said, more, but, uh, I won a hell of a lot more games than I lost. And that's, you know, that's what I look back on. 
Who is, if you had to narrow it down, I know this is an impossible question when you play in the NFL for 15 years, <laughs> who is the best player you've ever played with and against? Oh, that'd be Walter Payton. Um, you know, Walter was a guy that could do it all. He could run, he could throw, he could kick, he could block. Uh, he was just a special, special type of player. And uh, a great teammate, loved playing with him. And uh, one last question for you, Jim. What is one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening to the show? Live your life. Don't worry about what other people think. And uh, you'll be a hell of a lot happier. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim McMahon, thank you so much for joining the show today. Two-time Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears legend, NFL legend. Um, Thank you so much. I'm going to plug all your social media handles down in the uh, description of this podcast. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Um, I hope you enjoy your retirement like you have. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best in your future. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. This episode of the Michael Balco Show is brought to you by Donato's Pizza. Donato's Pizza prides themselves on ensuring that every piece of their pizza is the best piece of pizza you'll ever eat. I sure love me some Donato's Pizza, and I can guarantee that you will too. Donato's has three locations in the Erie area and many more across the country. Check out your local Donato's Pizza today.